Taiwan's health and foreign ministers will set up for Geneva on Friday evening to advocate for Taiwan's inclusion in the World Health Assembly. The Global Health Summit will start this Sunday, and Taiwan has yet to receive an invitation. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu says Taiwan saw an unprecedented degree of global support this year, even among high-ranking officials. He says that 12 of Taiwan's diplomatic allies have also written to the WHO to promote Taiwan's cause. Not only that, the U.S. plans to discuss health care collaboration with Taiwan on the sidelines of the WHA. Taiwan can help. The WHA opens this Sunday, but Taiwan has yet to receive an invitation. To advocate for Taiwan's inclusion, the foreign and health ministries will send a delegation to Geneva this Friday. Health Minister Xue Ruiyuan will lead a group of medical professionals who will join side events with representatives of other countries. We will not back down. We have to go to Geneva. We have lined up many events that will allow us to discuss matters directly with our allies and with like-minded countries. The WHO Secretariat's inability to remain neutral and professional and include Taiwan in the WHA as an observer once again disregards the necessity and urgency of Taiwan's participation. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs finds this matter highly regrettable and extremely disappointing. The foreign minister says the U.S. recently agreed to prioritize dialogue with Taiwan over health care cooperation. In addition, there has been unprecedented global support for Taiwan's WHA participation, including from high-ranking officials. Wu said that 12 of Taiwan's diplomatic allies wrote to WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom requesting Taiwan's participation bid to be included in the WHA agenda. Wu condemned China for thwarting Taiwan's attempts to participate, adding that Beijing has no right to represent the people of Taiwan. The obstruction is coming from China. Only Taiwan's democratically elected government can represent its people in international organizations. Taiwan is unable to directly participate in the WHA, so a lot of the information we receive is secondhand. If our experiences cannot be shared with the world, frankly, the world is missing out. In a fervent appeal, Health Minister Xue urged other nations not to exclude Taiwan from the Global Disease Prevention Network and to let Taiwan contribute more to the world. A Swedish parliamentary delegation was received by President Tsai Ing-wen on Thursday morning. During the reception, Tsai said Taiwan was becoming a key issue for the global community, drawing the care and concern of more and more people and nations. Let's hear from her. Taiwan is a key word in international society. More and more countries are showing concern for the Taiwan issue and supporting peace across the Taiwan Strait. I would like to reiterate that Taiwan is a force for good in the international community. Whether in public health, disaster relief or supply chain security, we have the capability to contribute and we are a good and reliable partner. In the future, Taiwan will continue to stand firmly with its democratic partners, strengthen our economic ties and enhance the resilience of democracy. We will also continue to promote peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific so that we can all thrive together. 
The Swedish delegation is led by lawmaker Marcus Bichel. During his meeting with Tsai, he praised Taiwan's global technological leadership and protested Taiwan's exclusion from international organizations. He said that the delegation believes Taiwan should be part of international bodies such as the WHO, Interpol and International Civil Aviation Organization. Former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss is on her third day in Taiwan. Today, she was received at the presidential office by Vice President Lai Qingde, who is also the DPP's presidential candidate. Lai thanked Truss for visiting at the time of high cross street tensions and expressed hope for the UK's continued support. Truss said it was crucial to ensure that Taiwan would defend itself. She also expressed support for Taiwan's entry to the CPTPP or the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. With a warm greeting, Vice President Lai Qingde receives a guest from afar, former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss. He began by expressing his thanks. Especially at a time of high cross-strait tensions, it is even more precious for MP Liz Truss to take such concrete action to express her support for Taiwan. I am here in Taiwan because I believe we need to build closer economic links between our two countries. We also need to make sure that Taiwan is able to defend itself. Truss expressed strong support for Taiwan and called for closer UK-Taiwan relations. The UK has just joined the CPTPP, the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, and I would very much like to see Taiwan become a member. What I want to see over the coming years is a closer relationship between Taiwan and the United Kingdom and the protection of freedom and democracy in this vital part of the world. Facing the rise of China and its impact on the peace and stability of the Indo-Pacific, the democratic coalition must unite and cooperate to achieve the goal of peace. As a member of this democratic coalition, Taiwan will stand firm on the first island chain of the Indo-Pacific and exert itself as a democratic and economic power. Lai spoke on behalf of Taiwan in a meeting that showcased his diplomatic chops. The day before on Facebook, Lai shared a photo of him in a meeting with President Tsai Ing-wen and Premier Chen Jianren. In the post, he said he was committed to carrying on the job of strengthening the nation. As the KMT's Ho Yi officially enters the presidential election, Lai is pressing ahead with his campaign with his own pace and strategy. Turning now to the KMT's newly minted presidential candidate. Ho Yi, who was back at work as city mayor on Thursday. Speaking to reporters, Ho promised not to let his campaign interfere with the running of New Taipei. When asked if he might take leave as mayor to focus on the race, Ho said that if he does, he will donate his salary and then some. One day after his nomination for president, new Taipei Mayor Ho Yi was all business, still focused on city affairs. Even so, his double role as candidate and mayor sparked criticism from the Green Camp, with councillors urging him to apologize and step down as mayor. 
If Mayor Hoyoi can't properly devote himself to being a mayor, then he should do what he did in 2018, when he resigned as deputy mayor to run for mayor. It simplifies matters. Resign as mayor to run for president. Since the ROC began direct presidential elections in 1996, the three mayors who stayed in office while running for president have all belonged to the KMT, Eric Chu, Han Guoyu, and Hoyoi, and the first two didn't fare well. Do the people of New Taipei owe it to the KMT to make this accommodation? The situation abroad is precarious, and a thousand things wait to be done at home. Someone who feels responsible for the country cannot turn a blind eye to this. They must step forward. The fate of the nation and the fate of New Taipei are closely entwined, so I will do my best to ensure that New Taipei keeps moving forward during this time. In the wake of Ho's nomination, supporters of Terry Go expressed their disappointment. Ho had this to say. I have tremendous admiration for Chairman Go. His three ideals of peace, prosperity, and integrity, I feel they're excellent. I have always emphasized one thing. Society must be fair, cross-strait relations must be peaceful, and the nation must be tranquil. Ho said that if he takes leave from his mayor's duties to campaign, he will donate his salary. I am dedicated to my country and to this society. I will donate my salary, plus an amount beyond that. Ho reiterated that he will not allow his campaigning to interfere with city affairs. He said he was confident in being able to lead the KMT back to power in 2024. A film project has captured aerial views of more than 100 Hakka villages across Taiwan. The filmmakers used drones to explore a never-before-seen perspective on many of Taiwan's oldest buildings. Their footage reveals details of the architecture and daily life of Hakka people in the 19th century. The Hakka Public Communication Foundation project aims to preserve Hakka stories for posterity and shed fresh light on Taiwan's diverse cultural history. From the air above, Jiangshe ancestral home in Xinju's Beipul, the edges of a thousand red roof tiles glimmer, reflecting the local architectural style. The HPCF drone team spent 18 months gathering footage of more than 100 Hakka villages all over Taiwan. We shot more than 100 films of more than 100 places. In the past, what people knew was touring places on the ground. There was no viewing them from above. So people didn't know that the craftsmen of yesteryear had expressed themselves so meticulously on the roof of every building. Since the HPCF was founded in 2019, its blue classroom van has toured all over the country, promoting traditional Hakka culture. Last year, the film team was dispatched to find 100 of the most beautiful Hakka sites and document their unique architecture and cultural import for posterity. On the west coast, Yunlin's Zhangliaojia temple has a unique red and blue palette, here recorded from a rarely seen angle. The drones have visited the southernmost Hakka village, known as the Old House of Xiao family in Jiadong Township, as well as the east coast Old House of the Zhou family in Fuli Hualien. This diversity of buildings from north, south, east and west recount the stories of life on this beautiful island. 
We've spent 18 months surveying almost all the historical buildings from Hakka areas across Taiwan, and I think that we want to go out again and film once every 10 years. The project has recorded the traces of Hakka tradition on film for future generations, preserving a vital strand of Taiwan's cultural heritage. A fourth wave of COVID infections is hitting Taiwan. There's been a sharp rise in COVID cases with outpatient and inpatient numbers spiking by two to three times. One doctor says that infections are rising because hospitals are no longer treating COVID patients in isolated wards. In reality, the pandemic is not over. In fact, the case numbers have gone up recently. However, specialized COVID wards have been discontinued and COVID patients are no longer separated from other patients. This has become a major problem. COVID inpatients are no longer being assigned to specialized wards. They're staying in general wards, and that's giving rise to cross-infections. In outpatient waiting areas, you might not have COVID, but you might be sitting next to a COVID patient who is coughing. COVID patients who go to hospitals are often the ones with more severe symptoms. So now the policy of not separating COVID patients has put more vulnerable individuals at risk of being infected. In related news, public health scholar Chen Xiuxi says there's a fresh wave of reinfections driven by the BA.275 variant. Taiwan's reinfection rate has hit a new high of 12.5 percent. The severity of the reinfections has also doubled. For patients who had moderate to severe symptoms the first time, the risk of hospitalization due to the reinfection is now higher than ever. It is six times the rate of mild initial cases. Today we meet Dr. Timothy Fu, an OBGYN who's worked in Taiwan for more than three decades. Because of his medical expertise and fluency in Indonesian, he's able to serve diverse communities. To help Indonesians in Taiwan, he founded the Indonesia Care Association in 2016 to provide a space for language learning and cultural exchange. Hello. Hello, Because Dr. Timothy Fu speaks Indonesian, his clinic attracts Indonesian patients from far and wide. When they can communicate with someone who speaks their language, they feel more willing to seek medical attention. Fu was born in Surabaya, Indonesia, to a Taiwanese mother. He came to Taiwan when he was 18 years old. After graduating from China Medical University, he began to work in Taiwan as an OBGYN. Now, 42 years later, he recalls his early years as a doctor, when he faced skepticism due to his strong Indonesian accent. Some people couldn't understand me, so they'd ask, which country are you from? I would say, I'm from Indonesia. Sometimes they would be prejudiced and wonder if I was a quack. To show his credibility, Fu slowed down his speech and even communicated with his patients by drawing pictures. Because of his own experience, Fu knows that language barriers and cultural differences can present real hardships and that immigrants, migrant workers and foreign students need help in Taiwan. So in 2016, he and a few like-minded friends launched the Indonesia Care Association. Their goal is to provide a welcoming home away from home for Indonesians in Taiwan. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hey, Assalamualaikum. 
We teach Chinese at our association. We teach Chinese to Indonesians, and we teach Indonesian to Taiwanese people. We do our best to foster cultural exchange so that Taiwanese people can better understand the perspective of the Indonesian community. From becoming a doctor to founding an association, Fu says he's driven to help others. Between 2005 and 2015, he went to Africa, the Middle East, and Central and South America at his own expense to volunteer for Doctors Without Borders. By providing medical aid and recognizing the needs of others, he's discovered the value in his own life. Taiwan's retail sector is in tough times, but there's one type of retail that's thriving. The market for mass-produced promotional goods is as strong as ever. Walking any shopping district and you see racks of clothing on sale for very low prices, sometimes less than half of the retail price. How can any business make a profit on such sales? We take a tour of the industry all the way from the manufacturers who produce special goods destined for the promotional rails to the retailers whose business model is geared to make a tight profit from the items. A dress is ironed. It's scanned and registered, then packed up. At this discount clothing producer, staff check the promotion period of the sales. There's a mountain of stock for each promotional season. This clothes manufacturer is 46 years old. They produce more than 10,000 items of sleepwear every year just for promotional retail. Right now, I'm standing inside one of Taiwan's largest wholesale sleepwear stores. You can see lots of employees at work packing up goods for shipping. These rails will be hung full of sleepwear to pack off to discount retailers in one go. An amazing 70% of all sleepwear in Taiwan is made here. The first floor is just the tip of the iceberg. Endless racks of clothes fill many more floors above. On average, when all the stock of one promotion is sold, the company earns 400,000 to 500,000 NT, which translates into 10 to 20 million NT a year. Each line has six or seven hangers lined up. We are selling the items at many different stores during each promotion. Some lines sell 400,000 or 500,000 items. Promotional items account for about 30% of our profits. Brand stores and department stores fill their racks with goods from clothes manufacturers, but they prefer to sell only the latest styles. It's not good if a fashionable line stays on the rails too long. Its value decreases then they may have to sell it off at a discount to maintain cash flow. By contrast, the discount retailers who work exclusively with these promotional goods just buy in the amount of stock they need to fill their retail space. One promotional season can be worth up to 40 million NT, and 10% of those profits go to discount retailers. The fact is, our running costs are out of proportion to the current market price of this place. If your profits could soar high, then the retail proportions would go down. This flourishing market for out-of-season clothing brings benefits to manufacturers, retailers and consumers. Taiwan's promotional retail sector is an economic winner in these post-pandemic times. Art enthusiasts, take note. A multinational auction house in Taipei is gearing up for its annual spring art auction. Join FTV reporter Stephanie Yang for a sneak peek.
the 2023 Ravenel Spring Auction will feature Chinese classics as well as modern and contemporary works from countries including Taiwan, South Korea, and Japan. One highlight is a masterpiece by the late Chinese French abstract artist Zhao Wuji. This Zhao Wuji work was created in 1997. Compared to Zhao Wuji's body of work, the color composition of this piece is more pleasing. It's more pleasing because a large portion of it is orange-red with pink. With regard to the condition of the work, it is well-preserved. The colors are quite pleasing, so the current estimated value of this painting is 42 million NT to 60 million NT. The auction will also feature pieces by Japanese artist Yoshimoto Nara. There will be works by several young Taiwanese artists, such as Huang Ben Rei and Zhang Tengyuan. A total of 149 pieces with an estimated combined value of 400 million NT will be on sale. As for Taiwanese artists, we have younger artists such as Zhang Tengyuan with his Parrot Man series. In addition, we also have the works of Huang Ben Rei. These younger artists have their own unique way for creating. In addition to young artists, we will also feature works by Taiwanese artists such as Su Wangshen, Zhou Yatai, and even Huang Mingzhe. The multinational art group will hold its auction from June 3rd to June 4th. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Hong Guokai in Taipei.